Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's up, Las Vegas? It's Thursday, which means we're serving you up an episode about delicious food. And not just any food, Thai food. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're bringing back a conversation we had last fall with UNLV professor Mark Padungpat. He was actually featured on a Hulu show, Taste the Nation, hosted by celebrity Padma Lakshmi. And they discussed how Thai food came to Vegas. And he knows his stuff. He wrote a whole book about it. It's Thursday, June 29th. I'm Vogue Robinson, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. We're recording. We in the building. Bah, 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 bah. What's up, Vogue? <laughs> What's up? Look, you about to be my you about to be the host today. Look. <laughs> yes, I know, right? I'm like, how you doing, Vogue? I'm awesome. How are you, Mark Padumpat? I am great. I'm great. So the show Taste the Nation definitely was like a highlight of my pre-vaccination days. (laughs) And so it was really beautiful to see the show. And my husband and I were so pleasantly surprised to see that the show was talking and exploring like what makes American food culture and also to see you in the show and that it was set in Las Vegas and it was talking about something other than the casinos, but about our, our Thai people in the community. So beautiful. So my first question for you is, is your life forever changed by sitting next to Padma Lakshmi and breathing the same air as her? <laughs> yes. Uh I will say that it was just an, a really awesome experience and a kind of a surprise one. Like it wasn't until like a couple meetings in that they revealed that it was Padma Lakshmi's show. And uh-huh. so they reached out to me just because, you know, I was I had written a book, Flavors of Empire, about Thai food in the United States. I think one thing that I learned from that experience is I was really glad to see that behind the scenes, the people who were putting together the show were of color or mm. queer people. Mm. And I think that was really important, right? That like, it's not just Padma's face, yeah, but the whole team behind her from the assistant directors, to the writers, to the producers were all kind of people of color again, or queer people of color. So she's, She's amazing in in every way. Oh, it's so sweet. Thank you for sharing that. For folks who don't know, can you tell us how Vegas became a hotspot for Thai food? Yeah. So Vegas's Thai food scene really grows and emerges in the 1990s because the Thai food scene in general in the United States explodes around the 1970s and 80s. And the hotbed for that rise is... Los Angeles and specifically West Los Angeles, kind of Hollywood, mm-hmm. Beverly Hills area, right? There's like over 50 Thai restaurants on that side of town alone nice. in the 1970s. And so the migration to Vegas, both from Thailand and then Thai people from LA to Las Vegas, ah, okay, uh, okay. begins to grow um, or really takes off around the 1980s and 90s. And that's 
an important part of the story of Thai food in Vegas because the kind of Thai food that emerges here is very different. I mean, you have some restaurants, I think Kung Fu Thai and Chinese restaurant, they open in downtown, I think, I believe at the Plaza Hotel. And they're serving what we would consider more central Thai cuisine. And this is the cuisine that we're all familiar with or most familiar with. Like if you look at the menu, it's curries, pan-fried noodles, fried rice, like that's a stand, pot thai, Thai barbecue chicken, like all of that is pretty standard Thai cuisine now. But then by the 90s, 2000s, you know, Lotus of Siam opens and it is featuring Northern Thai cuisine mm-hmm. and Northeastern Thai cuisine or Isan cuisine. Khao soy, right? The curry-based noodle dish, jackfruit salad, jackfruit curry. So it's featuring North, Northern, Northeastern Thai cuisine. And that happens in mid-90s and really becomes popular around 2000, right? Like Lotus of Siam has become kind of an institution, a com- yes. community institution in Las Vegas, uh, so much so that quite soon, they're going to open up another location at Red Rock Casino uh, mm-hmm. in Summerlin. And so, I mean, that's that's pretty big, especially post-pandemic, right? So yes. I think in terms of timeline, I would probably say 80s to now, we witnessed this incredible growth of Thai cuisine uh, in the Vegas Valley. Let's get even deeper into the, the history of it. How did Thai food get so popular here in the United States? Yeah. So... The popularity of Thai food in the U.S. is directly linked to U.S. intervention in Southeast Asia Mm. during the Cold War in the 1950s and 60s. That's when Thai food gets its start and when it begins to gain traction or become familiar in the United States. And that's important to say because this is not only a story of immigrants who bring their cultural backgrounds and traditions to share with the U.S. when they step foot in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. This is a story about U.S. global power. It's about U.S. intervention during the Cold War. It's about U.S. militarization in Southeast mm-hmm. Asia. And because the U.S. is concerned in the 1950s and 60s about the spread of communists in Southeast Asia, particularly in Vietnam. And so they take a real, the State Department, U.S. State Department military takes a real interest in Thailand as a place where they can set up base and okay. put t- because it's just central to the region, and they see it as a place where they can help stop this growth, right? But the strategy there is not to just build up the military, but it's to win hearts and minds. And the way that the U.S. tries to do this is to build cultural exchange programs and to really try to foster this like cultural relationship with Thailand and Thai people on the ground. Mm. So it's not just politicians and state officials trying to build these relationships. They really want people to travel to Thailand to meet Thai people. Again, all of this is not out of the kindness of people's hearts necessarily, right? Right. I was like, this is a different kind of warfare. Like this is like infiltrate, become familiar and gain trust, it sounds like. 100%. So this is where the Peace Corps gets developed for ordinary Americans who are not state officials to go and to teach English. And that's the context for when Thai food becomes popular here, because one of the first Thai cookbooks in the United States, as far as I know, it is the first Thai cookbook in the United States. It's called Siamese Cookery. And it was written by a white woman from West Los Angeles named Marie Wilson. And it was published in 1965. So 
there are not a lot of Thai people in the United States or LA in 1965. 1965 Immigration Act didn't pass yet. Uh, or it just passed, right? Um, and so Marie Wilson writes this cookbook. And the reason she was able to do it is because her husband was on a Fulbright fellowship to teach English in Thailand. And so she's there with him, going with him to different places, but then gathering, or some might say stealing all of these recipes <laughs> uh, as she's moving throughout the country, and then comes back to LA and publishes this cookbook targeted specifically for suburban housewives. Your weekly menu. <laughs> right. No, seriously. We can't tell that story of, of the, the rise of Thai food unless we think about the larger global context, right, of how people even became familiar with that. And of course, it's not like that cookbook popularized Thai cuisine, but that's right. the first moment in history where it makes its arrival to the U.S. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I remember hearing like kind of the other side of this. I remember in the in the episode hearing that pad thai even is a dish that was invented by the Thai government. Why? Yes. So there's there's a number of theories. The Thai government, Pibun Songkram, who was the prime minister at the time, 1930s Thailand. A couple things are happening in Thailand. One is that Thailand is still known as Siam. Mm. And this is the same period where Thailand or Siam changes its name to Thailand. And they do that because they want to show the rest of the world that they are now a modern nation state, where Siam was like the old colonial name for Thailand that European oh. powers gave them. Even though Thailand was never formally colonized, they effectively kind of colonized themselves to say, okay, we, we did your work for you, so please don't, <laughs> you don't have to come do it, right? This is the king and I. <laughs> this is that story, the king and I. And so... Thailand wants to become a modern nation state. They want to show the world that they are actually civilized people, modern, forward thinking. And part of that means you have to build 
and create a national identity that brings the whole country together. Because you have people in the countryside, you got people who are different class backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. And so Pot Thai becomes a tool for people in Songkram and the Thai government to say, here's a national dish that everybody can kind of see themselves as eating and consuming, and that makes you Thai. So it was a way to kind of unify a collective Thai cultural identity around a specific dish to help with this process of becoming modern. And then the other thing that's happening, and this is kind of my own read, is that there's part of that becoming Thai is also rooted in a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment. And so Pot Thai also becomes, to me, a way to distance themselves from Chinese people to say, we're going to take this Chinese dish or Chinese noodles and cook it our way. And, and so we'll, we'll kind of eliminate that Chinese influence, but we'll make it our own and we'll make it Thai. And so I think that that's, those two factors are really important to Thai, Pot Thai. What role did the Thai government play in making Thai food popular in the U.S.? Yeah, that's also, these are really good questions. Uh, I have a lot to say about each of these. So please, you know, I hope I'm not being too long-winded, but also that's just my nature as a historian. Uh, <laughs> right. I was like, we're, call, we're talking to a scholar, nerd out, give me, give me the goods, download it. I, like, it's all downloading into my space funds today. <laughs> but it fits with the Vegas story. Uh, and here's how it fits. So in 2001, the Thai government creates this program called Thai Kitchen to the World, it's changed its name a whole bunch of times now, but the original name was Thai Kitchen to the World. Lord. The plan was to train and export Thai chefs and Thai cooks around the world to open Thai restaurants, promote Thai cuisine, and use Thai food as a kind of cultural, you know, kind of exchange program. But it was they created it purely for Thai economic and national development. And that's why it became known or referred to as gastro diplomacy, uh-huh. because it was a way for Thailand, you know, which again has an uneven relationship to the United States, right? And to, and to Western powers and, and economies. And so the Thai government saw food as a way to uh, stimulate tourism, stimulate more capital back to the country to help with economic development, right? And so that was the idea. What I'm kind of annoyed by. Mm among many things. But what I'm kind of annoyed by is that there's been a number of news articles, kind of, I think maybe Vice even had one, but there's been a couple of articles that raised this question of like, why are there so many Thai restaurants in the US? Mm. Thank Thank the Thai government for this, right? And so they're using this Thai government program to explain why there are so many Thai restaurants in the U.S. relative to the number of Thai people, because we're a relatively small immigrant community. And so the answer to that is like, oh, the Thai government's responsible for this. And I consistently push back because I'm like, one, that's after 2001, right? So like there were hundreds (laughs) of Thai restaurants in the U.S. before that. And the other thing is that I haven't found or have heard of any hard evidence that people actually open up restaurants with assistance from the Thai government. But it's linked to the Vegas story because there are Thai restaurants here in the 80s and 90s that had nothing to do with the Thai government. Even if they saw themselves as promoting Thai culture, Thai cuisine, it wasn't government driven. This was driven from pretty savvy people like uh, Sai Pin, who opens up Lotus of Siam and experiments, lots of trials and tribulations, right? Not really sure what to cook. Do I cook the food I like? No formal education. No formal education. Out here surviving. 
bringing her culture to the valley. Like, here's the thing I know I can do well. Exactly. And experimenting, right? The creativity and ingenuity to say, you know, do I cook it this way? Will this work? Mm-hmm. Or should I stick to what I really love <laughs> and maybe cook the food that I would eat, this North Northeastern Thai cuisine? When we make it about Thai government, it kind of erases all of that agency and it erases all of the decisions and power that individual Thai people and Thai women in particular had to determine what they wanted to do with Thai food, their relationship to Thai food. And so I think it's really important that when we think about Thai food in Las Vegas, that in some ways it kind of challenges this idea mm. that the Thai government is responsible for all of these Thai restaurants. It's just too easy of an answer, and it's not a really good one. <laughs> There's some missing components. There's some missing components. <laughs> I get it, though. I get it. Also, maybe you're still shopping there. Like, we, we only give you what you want, you know? Like, mm, don't start with me. <laughs> yeah. And I understand, like, I think people want to go beyond just like, oh, immigrants come and they open up restaurants and like, they want to go beyond that story. And they want to tell like, you know, the state and governments are involved in this. Um, I think they are. But the most I would say is the Thai government saw how popular Thai restaurants had already become Mm -hmm. in the United States without their help. And then we're like, we need to get in on this. We need to get a piece of this because like, these are our expatriates or whoever. These are our, you know, people and they're really cooking Thai cuisine and people love it. And why are we not benefiting from this as a country? Right. And I think that at most I would say that, that that's what even started this whole gastro diplomacy thing. Hmm. How are restaurants like Lotus of Siam changing the way Thai food is being valued by folks in the States? Yeah, it's a big question. If we take it as one case, one specific example. I mean, I certainly think that she has opened up room for other Thai restaurants to raise their price points. Because I don't want to say that she's elevated it. I think Thai food has always been elevated, mm. right? And Saipan cooks at a very high level. But that's pretty typical of Thai restaurants. And I think her growing popularity, the attention she she's gotten from food reviewers and being, you know, kind of the best Thai restaurant in the West, uh, <laughs> I think has opened up opportunities for other Thai restaurateurs to do that. And I'm thinking of places like Weira Thai, uh, mm-hmm. which I also love, right? And I think they cook and focus on Northeastern Thai cuisine as well. And so I think that maybe even more specific, because she cooks a different kind of regional style, I think it offers some distinction. But again, it's always been at kind of a, a high level, but I think she's She's shown that it can be done. And that people will pay for it. And that people the, will pay for it. But that's the thing I was looking at is that oftentimes people think, oh, certain foods from certain cultures don't deserve to be considered high end, don't yeah. aren't allowed to be considered, like you said, like elevated, which is really coded language. Right, right. Okay. So we talk about food bringing people together and we have all these cultural festivals in the United States, but... I wonder, like, how do we grow from an appreciation of Thai food into an appreciation of Thai people and Thai culture in Vegas? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. You have to think about the hands that prepare those dishes, right? So yes, the dish, enjoy the dish, but never, ever lose sight of the hands that make that dish. And what I mean by that is not just, oh, I want to give shout out to the chef. No, it's like, labor issues, 
right? You really value this? How much do you value this? How much do you love this? Enough to get, pay people a living wage? Sounds like a good start, <laughs> right? Mm, um, one. Are they undocumented people cooking this food for you? Hmm. If you value it that much, maybe they are making a, a contribution to the United States that is worth citizenship, hmm. right? Or some protection of citizenship. Not that that's necessarily the goal, but some other kind of protection and opportunity that's outside of just a legal recognition of whether or not they should be here. So that's what I mean, is like really think about the communities and the people behind the dishes. And so you go from, again, just appreciating this expression of a culture that in some ways can erase and ignore them and to really think about the people who have made this even possible. That's an excellent way to end this episode. <laughs> Mark Padungpat, thank you so much for being on CityCast Las Vegas. It's been like a super joy to talk to you. No, this was, again, this was a joy and a pleasure for me. And I was really excited about this and excited to finally meet you and get, get a chance to chop it up a little bit. Before you go, a few things you should know. After a decades-long standoff, the Venetian and Palazzo resorts have finally agreed to allow union organizing on those properties. Those two casinos are the last two holdouts on the Strip without a culinary union agreement. Meanwhile, the temperatures may be going up, but your power bill will inch down. This week, the state's Public Utilities Commission approved a move by Envy Energy to lower consumer costs. It's not a lot, depending on your location. It'll drop between 5 to 16% for July through September. Not bad. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, send this episode to three friends. That's it. Super easy. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care. And so oh you have God. this robot that yeah. tastes Does dishes. it have a tongue that, I don't that know. Like, it tastes salt and sugar <laughs> and different components and it beeps for sugar and it beeps for salt? I, I oh, think it's not just enough some acid, guy. some more lime. <laughs> I think it's just somebody in a, in a box. <laughs> That's my theory, is that they put it into this machine, but it's really just somebody in there, like, tasting the food. <laughs> somebody's uncle yeah somebody's <laughs> uncle's like this is good and then he puts it in the computer or whatever <laughs>